Are you an accredited investor looking for a new opportunity to generate passive income and build the retirement of your dreams? Then elevate your investment game with Viking Capital, where wealth meets wisdom. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just starting out, Viking Capital can help guide you towards financial freedom through passive real estate investing. With strong and transparent underwriting, Viking identifies low-risk opportunities with the goal of preserving investor capital and maximizing long-term growth potential. And their accessible and responsive investor relations team will help you understand how each investment will impact your unique financial goals. With $800 million in assets acquired, more than $230 million in equity raised, and more than 5,000 units under management, Viking Capital is your path to early retirement. To learn about Viking Capital's latest investment opportunity, which is available for you right now, visit go.vikingcapllc.com forward slash best. That's go.vikingcapllc.com forward slash best to get started today. Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHerCon is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, Promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Have very clear expectations of your partner. Don't be like me and assume that because this person's a home builder, he is going to use his home building skills and his contacts and his network and dive in and do all of the renovation tasks. I could have very easily clarified that up front and I failed. Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Hello, best ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Ash Patel, and this is an episode of Beyond Multifamily, where we dive into topics other than multifamily investing. Today, we're going to dive into the topic of partnerships, partners in business, partners in deals, joint ventures. And I'm going to share a lot of the mistakes that I've made over the years and a lot of the lessons learned. So hopefully you don't repeat some of the mistakes that I've made. My first lesson with partners goes back about 25 years. I was 22 years old. I had a full-time job and I wanted a side hustle. So I started a web design company and I spent all of my time after hours, before hours, nights, weekends, you name it. I was working and I hired somebody to be a designer I was sales, marketing, back office, customer relations, everything else. And the person that I hired 
created some incredible websites. We were on a roll. We had a lot of customers. We had a lot of money coming in. And all of a sudden, I had this brilliant idea to make this individual a partner with me. This seemed like a great idea at the time. I would have somebody that helps me with some of the high-level tasks, direction that we're going to take the company. When I get into situations, maybe they can help me get out of it. It wasn't a great idea. And in fact, it was the demise of this company. So we continued to grow. We had a lot more clients coming in. We had a lot more money coming in. And the goal of this company was it was going to be a side hustle for everybody. Well, my partner ends up quitting his full-time job and we're making enough money to where he could support himself. At the time, he had a wife and young kids. So I felt obligated to make sure that he had enough income to replace his W-2 job that he quit. Well, after a while, this became a burden where I would give him all the money that came in. I wasn't taking a salary. I wasn't taking profits. I was making sure that he was comfortable, had enough money coming in. And there was some resentment that came out of this. So at the end of the day, I tried to quit my job. And when I went into work, set to quit my job, I left with a raise, a promotion, and an assistant. And this was so disheartening that I was working all these hours in both jobs. And my partner was the only one benefiting from this. So at the time, I was just burnt out and decided to give the entire company to my partner and I ended up walking away from it. And to this day, 25 years later, he still retains some of the same clients that we had back in the day. But nonetheless, I think if I didn't make him a partner, if I didn't allow him to quit his job, and if I didn't feel the burden of him needing to replace his W-2 income, things may have been different. The lesson learned there is if you don't have to give up part of your company, don't do it. There's other ways to reward people. You can do profit sharing where they're not on the books. They don't have equity. If you want to sell the company, they don't have to approve of it. They don't have to sign off on documents. If you want to take a loan, they don't have to sign off on documents. Giving somebody profit sharing, I think, is a way better approach early on than giving somebody undeserved equity. Many years later, when I was in real estate, I was always a one-man band. It was always just me in my office. I would find the deals. I would go in there, turn properties around. And I always envied other people that built companies with teams, people that they can hang out with, people that they can bounce ideas back and forth with, people that they can offload tasks to. And for whatever reason, maybe I was in a unique niche. I was doing value-add non-residential commercial real estate. There just wasn't that many people that I knew doing the same thing. So I can make all the excuses that I want, but at the end of the day, I was a one person shop and I had a friend of mine who was a home builder and he's like, gosh, I would love to partner up with you on a deal. I think we could collectively do some damage together. And I thought, man, this would be great. This guy's built so many custom homes. He's a builder. It's a skill that I don't have. And I think together we can do some great things. So I presented him a couple of deals that I was going to close on, offered whatever partnership amount he wanted in the deals. And the one deal that he picked was an office building that we bought. It was essentially half finished. The guy building it ran out of money. It sat vacant for five years. And I thought, perfect, a home builder pairing up with me. We can turn this place around. I could use all of his expertise. 
this individual that I partnered with had a big company. He had partners in his company and he was doing very well. We did things right in the beginning before we closed on the property. We signed an operating agreement. We had lawyers involved. And for the best ever listeners that are not intimately aware of what a partnership operating agreement is, it's basically a prenup similar to a wedding for a partnership. If things go bad, this operating agreement basically defines how things get settled. If you are at odds with your partner where you're not even speaking, you go back to the operating agreement and it defines how you can separate who gets what. And it's basically a fair way to make hard decisions back to this office building. So I was excited. We went out and celebrated a few times right after we closed on the property. And when time came to roll up our sleeves and get in there, he came in with his foreman, a couple other tradespeople he brought in, and we created a task list of all the things that needed to be done. Everything from replacing railings that were shoddy, replacing entry doors, installing sump pumps, finishing all the construction that was left behind or that was done incorrectly. I was excited, man. For the first time ever, I had some help in my business. And a couple of weeks go by and I call my partner to follow up on how the progress is coming along. And he tells me, yeah, you know, my guys are residential guys. They're not commercial, so they can't really handle this project. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, electric is electric. Plumbing is plumbing. Drywall is drywall. Why is this so different? And I don't understand it to this day, but his crew was not comfortable or just didn't want to do the work. So it fell back on me. I had to go out, hire contractors, manage them, get everything done. It took six months to get this building inhabitable. And during that six months, I got a lot of pushback from my partner. He kept asking, when are we going to start making money with this building? And I'm like, man, look, it's a process. It takes time. We bought something that wasn't really finished. We couldn't get an occupancy permit for it. It needed a lot of work. We kind of knew this going into it, but nonetheless, I, he kept the pressure on, Hey, we got to start making some money on this. I got to have some money coming in. I'm getting pressure from my wife. What's going on. And again, it just takes time. And during that whole time, all of this was falling on me. Finally, there was an end goal. We got this building to the point where it was inhabitable. We got our certificate of occupancy. And one night I arranged for two potential tenants to come view this building. I call my partner excited. And keep in mind, I did all the marketing to get these two tenants. So I call my partner. I'm like, hey, we've got two people that are potential tenants. I think we can get them to sign a lease. Will you meet me at that building tonight at seven o'clock? And he says, no. <laughs> and I'm like, what, what do you mean? No. He's like, no. He's like, that's not what I do. Hire it out. And I said, look, no, we can't hire it out. If we get a realtor involved, they're not going to be as passionate or as knowledgeable on this project as we are. We know this town. We know this building. We're going to sell it unlike anyone else. And that doesn't work. He still insists that I just hire it out. And he gives me a lecture about how he built his business and he no longer has to work in his business. So he's certainly not going to work in mine. That's never how I did things, man. I'm a boots on the ground type of person. I'm the one that gets things done. So I proceed to meet with these potential tenants and short time later, we end up signing them. We sign two leases and over the next few weeks, we may have gotten one more and my partner comes up to me and he says, Ash, I have an opportunity 
to invest in another company and I would like you to buy me out of this building. And man, I was devastated. We put a lot of money into the down payment. We put a lot of cash equally into the renovations. And if I was to buy him out, we couldn't get a loan for more than what we already got on it. So I would have to come up with the cash to buy him out. I asked him, what do you want for a buyout amount? And he said, every dollar that I put into it. And man, that was a tough one. So I thought about it for a while. And at the end of the day, he wasn't adding value. If anything, it was bringing back that same resentment that I had 25 years earlier with a web design company. So I pulled it together, got the cash, got him out. We're great friends to this day. But shortly after I got him out, maybe it was just me being more motivated that now it's only me. I'm not working for free while somebody else benefits all the work that I put in. I'm directly benefiting from. So within a few months, this building was fully leased and I've owned this building now for probably seven, eight years and it's always been fully leased. Matter of fact, it is a 100% female tenanted building. Every single business owner in there is a female. Anytime there's a vacancy, the tenants will find somebody to fill that vacancy because they want to control who's in that building with them. It's been a great building. The lesson learned there. Have very clear expectations of your partner. Don't be like me and assume that because this person's a home builder, he is going to use his home building skills and his contacts and his network and dive in and do all of the renovation tasks. I could have very easily clarified that up front and I failed. You may be thinking, but yeah, you didn't know like he wasn't going to help. It would have been very easy for me to walk through a scenario. Okay, so here's what we got to do first. How do we split up these tasks? When it comes to marketing the property, how do we split up the tasks? When it comes to showing the property, how do we split up the tasks? And it would have been very evident at the time. He would have said, we're not splitting up anything. We're going to hire it out. And I would have seen that we had philosophical differences on how to accomplish this task. And it would have been a revelation. I would have known that this may not be the right partner for me, or I would have known that this is a money partner and not somebody that I could count on. And maybe if I'm going to do all the work, I would set aside some compensation to where I get rewarded for the work that I put in. And we could have come up with a fair solution, but I failed in having those conversations. I failed in setting those expectations and I failed by being so enamored again by having a partner wanting to build a company and it backfired again. We'll get back to the show with first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. When it comes to scaling your real estate business, is lack of capital holding you back? Raising private capital on demand can be a major challenge, but you can get the knowledge and tools you need to succeed when you attend Dana Cornell's three-hour Raise Capital Masterclass Live. After starting out with no capital or relationships, Dana has raised over $2 billion, that's with a B, billion dollars twice in the last 20 years, and he has made it his mission to share the best of what he's learned with business owners and real estate investors like you. You can learn more at danacornell.com forward slash best ever. Dana's Raise Capital Masterclass allows you to immediately unlock and raise capital on demand, drastically increasing your business's growth. If you're ready to take your business to the next level, go to danacornell.com forward slash best ever and enroll today. And right now, best ever listeners, you can enroll for over $500 off 
go to danacornell.com forward slash best ever. I'd like to introduce you to my good friends over at PassiveInvesting.com, a private equity real estate firm based out of the Carolinas. PassiveInvesting.com makes it easy for you to start investing in real estate. They focus on acquiring institutional quality apartments and self-storage facilities with private accredited investor funds. They also have a real estate debt fund that offers hard money loans to local fix and flippers across the U.S., which currently has a 0% default rate. With a portfolio of over $700 million in assets and controlling over $250 million in equity, they know how to secure the best deals and how to avoid the red flags. If you are interested in learning more, please reach out directly to PassiveInvesting.com and request the free Passive investor guide that outlines the seven red flags for passive apartment and self-storage investing. Visit PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags to download that PDF now. That's PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags. Best ever listeners, a bit of a side note. I've done a lot of deals on handshakes and verbals, and I had a time where I put up all the money for, I think, an eight-unit apartment building. I wanted nothing to do with residential didn't mind helping out this individual. He's a great guy, and I thought it'd be awesome to partner with him, park some money in with him, have him grow it. I forgot the details of the split, but the renovations on this property were supposed to be, let's say, six months. Ended up taking a year and a half. So we went a year and a half with no revenue, no fault of this individual's. And COVID hit, the county was fighting with the town. He was one of the victims of not getting proper permits because they were in a pissing contest. Nonetheless, a year and a half, no revenue. I still trusted this person blindly, still do to this day. So not a big deal. Well, when the apartments were renovated and rented out, it came time for a refi. And we had a disagreement on if we should do the refi now or later. My expectation was we do the refi as soon as we can, and this way we get our money back and start splitting everything 50-50. And his expectation was there'd be a period of time where he gets to collect the rents and only pay me interest on the money that I have out. The mortgage note was minimal because it was interest only at the time. And I thought, man, I don't remember having that conversation He recalls having it, or maybe that was his expectation. Again, I don't know where the mix-up was, but we didn't put it on paper. And I've done this so many times. And if it's somebody that I could do a deal with on a handshake, I'm confident we can work out a resolution if there's a conflict. And in this case, we agreed that we're going to do the refi right away. But at the end, he walked away knowing that this was not what I expected. And at the same time, I'm thinking... Wow, I never would have agreed to that. Like, we're partners in this. So, nonetheless, if we had put things down on paper, a simple email to each other, a voice memo, a handwritten note that we scan in later, we would have had some reference, but we didn't. And again, luckily, this is a great individual, stand up person, still good friends with him today. And it worked out, but best ever listeners the importance of putting things down on paper. You don't need a 30-page operating agreement. You need a one-page set of notes where it's things that you agree on. And if there's something omitted from there, you know that you probably didn't discuss it. So it becomes easier 18 months down the road to figure out what you actually agreed on. Please put things down on paper. I'm going to share with you one more story, and this one's a bit of a tough one. 
So I have a friend of mine who brought me a deal, and it's a huge deal. It's $8 million. It's a property that we're flipping, selling it for $12 million, and brought a great deal to me. I put up a lot of the money for it, and I'm a commercial person. He's a residential person, and he's wanting to get into commercial. He's just tired of residential. So I figured, awesome. This guy's got a lot of skills. He's got a wholesaling company doing well. And if we can use some of the wholesaling skills towards finding commercial deals, what a win because not many people are doing that. So as time goes on, we start the formation of a commercial real estate company. We put together a lot of the pillars that we need to build this. And in his business, he has done very well by systematically building it. And it's gotten to the point where it's a machine. It runs by itself. And as we started progressing into developing this company, we started to get to work and it was me getting to work. And this person was basically the visionary, if you will. But the problem is I'm a visionary as well. And I would prefer to hire a bunch of integrators. I would prefer to sit up top and direct people, guide people, motivate people. And he wants to do the same thing. So you have two chiefs and no workers and things just weren't progressing. The problem was as deals started coming in, I felt obligated because we set off on this path to do this joint venture. We've got this one deal in the works. We're going to make a lot of money on that. I felt obligated that any deal that comes in, we would split 50-50, even though I put up all the money. This individual doesn't have a ton of capital. So again, it became one of those scenarios where I'm putting up the capital. I'm doing pretty much all of the work, finding the deals, managing the deals. And this person, I felt obligated to give him 50% because that was our agreement going forward. And again, we didn't have things on paper. We didn't have clear expectations. Had I walked through a scenario, hey, if we find a property, what's our roles? It would have been very easy to figure out if this was going to work or not. Nonetheless, it just put me in a precarious situation. Again, still great friends with this individual. We're continuing to do some deals where he's finding them. I just need to know that we have to define roles. We have to define capital contributions. Everybody needs to be equally rewarded based on their contributions, whether it's time, effort, money. And again, man, I just keep learning these lessons. So a lot of tough ones out there. I will end this on a happy note. And I'm going to share with you that I've got two people that are family friends. And one of my rules is I try never to mix family and money or family and business together. However, these two ladies are probably 10 years younger than I am. And they're just absolute killers in real estate. One comes from the family office, real estate environment, managing probably a billion dollars in real estate. The other individual is someone who's been in the corporate world for a long time, went out, started a number of her own businesses. And I mentored her on commercial real estate about a year, a year and a half ago, and she's been crushing it. So the three of us now have come together and I think we've all been around a little bit and we were a bit skeptical up front. So we were cautious on how we entered this partnership. We were cautious on what kind of commitments we made, but 
We've been working together for probably the past six months to a year, and it's phenomenal. We're starting to put together the pillars of building a company, but initially, we all decided we're going to do one deal together, see how it goes, see how we interact with each other, make sure everyone's pulling their weight, make sure if you have to have a difficult conversation, you feel comfortable having it, and things get done. I have to tell you, we're making a lot of progress. We're doing a lot of deals. We are on the phone several times a day with each other. And the great thing is we all have different skill sets, but everybody is pulling their own weight. People are recognizing when somebody's overworked, they're proactively taking things off other people's plates. We've all did a bit of a self-assessment and an assessment on each other. This was very important where we critiqued ourselves and then we critiqued each other. Hey, what do you wish this person would do better? What are their strong points? What are their weak points? What do they need to improve on? And in terms of self-reflection, what are your strong points? What are your weak points? What do you need to get better at? What are you insecure about? And we had maybe a two-hour meeting and we discussed all of these things together. We were able to intimately get to know where each person is coming from and figure out if there's things that one person really was not good at or didn't like doing and the other person didn't hate it as much. I I doubt they would like something that one person hates, but we were able to divvy up tasks and realize that this person really despises reading leases where I don't mind it as much because you learn something new each time you read it. So this person knows that I'm kind of taking one for the team by doing that and I'm helping them. So in return, If there's something that I procrastinate because I don't want to do, they will offload it for me. But having these conversations often is very important. It took me a lot of years to be able to effectively work with partners, find the right partners, and have these difficult conversations. So best ever listeners, I urge you, if you are wanting to scale your business, wanting to grow your business, don't be over eager about getting partners on board. Have them tried and tested first. Do a deal with them knowing that this may not work out long term and then build upon that if it does work out. Make sure you write things down. Have difficult conversations when you need to have them. Walk through entire scenarios. If you're a fix and flipper, if you're a multifamily investor, whatever you are, take a scenario and walk through the entire beginning through end from due diligence to disposition and envision you and your potential partner going through this journey together and make sure each of you is okay with the tasks that you want to assign to that person. Finally, set aside to do self-assessments, assessments on team members, partners, and truly take time to identify what it is that you wish to change in somebody else that you wish somebody would be better at or you wish that they would do differently, have a time where you can have these discussions and I promise you you'll grow from that. I hope you learn a lot from some of my mistakes, some of my wins. Best ever listeners, if you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star review. Share this episode with someone you think can benefit from it. As always, follow, subscribe, and have a best ever day.